Today is a day of new beginnings. For the first time in 39 weeks, uh, we are meeting up again in person. Uh, even though not all of us can be there, it's a new beginning all over again. Uh, and when the lockdown eased, the really tight lockdown we've had here in Melbourne, uh, it was a sort of a new beginning, wasn't it? Janet and I were able to hold our newest granddaughter. Uh, we've been able to go out for meals as you can and coffees and catch up with people. It's hard for me uh, now to recall exactly what it was like when we were in that tight lockdown. Uh, and it, it was hard, wasn't it? Uh, we weren't allowed to go more than five kilometres from home. We were pretty much shut into our homes now. Uh, we can pretty much go wherever we want, even across Australia as of this week. Life is full of new beginnings, isn't it? Uh, some of you are finishing school this year. You're going to say goodbye to teachers. And if you go to uni, you're going to say to hello to online learning. Uh, you get a new job, you say goodbye to sleep-ins and poverty and hello to long days and paychecks. Uh, you get married. Uh, you say goodbye to making decisions on your own and you say hello to sacrifice. Uh, you have a baby. You say goodbye to a long night's sleep and you say hello to insomnia. Uh, all of these things are new beginnings and they involve leaving something behind and doing something new. And that's what we're looking at today, the God of new beginnings, because this chapter, chapter 35, marks a new beginning for Jacob. Uh, there are four things in here. Firstly, he has to flee idols. Secondly, he runs to the place where he's met God, where God has shown himself to him. Thirdly, he embraces the new identity that God has given him. And fourthly, he has to endure. All that spells out the word free. And it syncs with what God says elsewhere in the New Testament, and particularly through the Lord Jesus, that this is the way to freedom. So let's pray and ask God to help us as we dig into this passage. Our Lord and God, we, uh, we all want to be truly free. And we thank you that you show us how we can do that. We pray today as we look at this, that this might be a new beginning uh, for each and every one of us, and especially for those of us who have not yet trusted the Lord Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. The first thing to note as we get into this chapter, in the very first verse, we see that God is the initiator of this new beginning. Uh, he says to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So there are four things here. Uh, firstly, God says to Jacob, arise. Don't sit around here in Shechem, get up. Secondly, he says, go, go to Bethel. Now, Bethel is a place with a history. Uh, that's the place, it, it goes back to Genesis chapter 12. It's the place where Abram, when he first came into the promised land, he built an altar near there uh, to the, the, the living God. He called upon the name of the Lord. And we're going to see it has a history for Jacob as well as we get into this in a moment. And then he says to Jacob, dwell there, stay there, live there. Uh, God had told him earlier on that he was going to come back to this place. And Jacob had wandered here and there and God is finally saying, Go and live there. And fourthly, he tells Jacob to make an altar there to the God who showed up and met him uh, when he first was on the run. The first time, actually, uh, God 
spoke with him. So there's a clear sequence here, isn't there? Uh, that God says, arise, go, live there, live in the place where I first appeared to you and make an altar, worship me, put me first. And uh, that's the same for us, isn't it? God calls on us to move, uh, to go, to go to the place where he shows himself to us and to put him first, uh, to live in that space where God influences every decision that we make. Uh, so what unfolds in the rest of the chapter flows from what God tells Jacob to do. So the first thing he does is he flees idolatry in verses 1 to 4. Uh, so Jacob said to his household, to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. So Jacob knows that if he's going to put God first in his life, uh, then there are things that have to go and things that have to change. And so there are three things here. Uh, firstly, there's put away. Put away the idols uh, that you have. Root them out. Remove them. You can't serve multiple gods, Jesus said. Uh, this is an issue for all of us, isn't it? Uh, idolatry is such an insidious thing. Uh, John Calvin, hundreds of years ago, said that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. We keep inventing them. And if you don't believe me, uh, ask yourself, what's your relationship with your devices, your mobile phone? Uh, I was convicted of this when I was preparing this sermon, so I thought I'll have a look. Uh, you can look on your phone and find out how much time you're spending on it and where you're spending that time. Uh, I was shocked uh, and I was very encouraged actually there to see. It's under, if you've got an Android, it's under settings and uh, well-being. Uh, you can look there, digital well-being. And you actually can limit yourself. Uh, so now the things that I was wasting too much time on, they stop <laughs> after the time limit that I've put on them. It's great. It reminds me I oughtn't to be spending so much time there. That might not be your particular idol. Uh, maybe you've uh, adopted some of the pandemic idols that have grown up in this time, uh, like uh, online shopping. Uh, you, maybe your house is full of stuff that you've ordered online and it's been delivered, uh, and maybe you haven't even opened it yet. Uh, maybe uh, during this pandemic time, you've uh, made a lot, an idol out of uh, Netflix and you've been binge watching and heaps of your time is going there. Uh, maybe your idol's not like that. For some of us, it's just comfort and ease and making sure our life's not too difficult. Uh, maybe uh, it's your job or your money or your family. I've been a Christian for quite a while now and I know that these idols and new ones keep rising up and we have to keep rooting them out. Albert Louis was a wealthy businessman he lived on the southern peninsula of Sydney Harbour. He had everything. He had the house on the harbour with the view of the opera house and the harbour bridge. He had the yacht. He had businesses that were flourishing. And one day the living God intervened in his life and showed him that he needed forgiving, that he needed Jesus. And he turned to Christ. Albert uh, had been a Buddhist up to that point. And being a wealthy Buddhist, 
He didn't just have the earthenware Buddha that you get from Bunnings or from the $2 shop. He actually had a solid gold Buddha in his house. He was convicted that he needed to get rid of this if he was going to serve God alone. So he got in his boat, he went out onto Sydney Harbour and he dropped his gold Buddha over the side. All $50,000 worth of it. Now, actually, in today's money, it would be worth about a quarter of a million. Because he wanted to put, put God first. And uh, he'd been used to having lavish dinners and inviting all his business friends and people who could possibly help him to flourish in his business and become even more wealthy. Uh, from that point on, actually, he still kept having lavish dinners and he invited all his friends, but there was a difference. He invited people who could communicate the good news of Jesus clearly to them, and they did that. And some of his friends became Christians. Uh, friends, what a change, because that man rooted out his idols. He, he fled idolatry. The second thing that they are told to do is to purify themselves. Now, this is important here. The big word in the previous chapter uh, is defile. If you read chapter 34, it's a terrible chapter. Jacob's daughter Dinah is raped. A terrible defilement. Uh, and Jacob's sons respond to that actually by a bit of their own kind of defilement. They trick the men of Shechem into getting circumcised. And on the third day when they're not feeling so well, uh, the sons of Jacob go amongst them and slaughter them. And so, in a sense, their response too to this is one that defiles them. And Jacob knows this. And actually, Jacob is scared. He's scared that the people around there are going to take revenge on them and wipe them out. And so Jacob calls on his family to purify themselves. So root out the idols, purify, and then change. He calls upon them to change their clothes. Now, this is not going to change anything, but it's symbolic of the inward purity uh, that these people are striving for. And of course, it points us forward uh, to the New Testament, actually, to the new heavens and the new earth, uh, where the people there have white robes. Uh, the Apostle John, as he looked into heaven, uh, saw those people there and, and he asked the question, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And the answer came, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And it points us forward to the fact that Jesus is the one actually ultimately who makes us clean and purifies us so we can have the clean whiteness of his righteousness. And then Jacob tells them once they've done that, they're going to head off to Bethel. I think we need to notice here too that Jacob's relationship with God is still quite transactional. Uh, he says, let's rise and go to Bethel in verse 3, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. Now, Jacob's view of God is a little bit like the relationship we have with the fire brigade. When we need them, we call them. And they come and they put the fire out uh, and, and until the next fire, we don't think about the fire brigade very much. Uh, they don't impact our lives day by day. But God 
wants Jacob and he wants you and me to have a relationship with him that influences our daily living and our daily decision making. Well, in verse four, we see that uh, they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, the rings that were in their ears. Um, Maybe they'd taken them from the people of Shechem. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree uh, that's in Shechem. I'm pretty sure when this got into the Bible, they probably weren't, they certainly weren't hidden anymore and someone may have got at them. Uh, But it does, it raises a question, all this, doesn't it? Why did God's people, these people who are supposed to be worshipping God, why did they have idols amongst them? Well, it's a good question, isn't it? And it's a good question for them, but it's also a very good question for us. But actually, they're not much different from us, uh, that we so easily uh, slip into idolatry. If an alien dropped into Melbourne and looked at what we were doing, I wonder what they would conclude about what was at the centre of our our culture or what we worshipped. Maybe they'd conclude that we were phone worshippers or maybe sun worshippers or maybe food worshippers. Who knows what they would conclude because these things feature very prominently in what we do day by day. Friends, the Christian life is a life of rooting out our idols and putting God first, getting rid of those things that uh, take the place of God in our lives so easily and putting him there alone. So flee idolatry. Second point, then run. Run to where God shows himself in verses 5 to 8. Now they go to Bethel. They leave Shechem, go to Bethel. And not only is this place important to Abraham, but it is also important to Jacob. Uh, This is where he first encountered God uh, when he was running away from his brother Esau. And he had that spectacular vision uh, of the stairway to heaven and angels going up and down. As spectacular as that was, the, 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 the most spectacular thing is that God spoke to him. And what God said to him, he reiterated the promises that he'd made to his grandfather, Abraham, and he made them to Jacob. That I'm going to make out of you a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless others through you. So Jacob is going back there. He's running to the place where God showed himself to him. And friends, I think this is really important for us. Not only do we need to flee our idols, if we don't run to something uh, that is much, much better, uh, we will be in trouble uh, in an ongoing way. So where is the place that God shows himself uh, to us who live this side of the cross? Well, of course, it's the Lord Jesus, isn't it? He is God's final showing of himself to us. And we've run to Jesus and to his word, to the New Testament, to the whole Bible, where we learn about Jesus, how he loves us, how he died for us, how he rose again from the dead, uh, how he's promised to be with us always, uh, even to the end of the age. So run to the place where God has shown himself to us. And it's not just running there, it's worshipping him, putting him first in our lives listening to what he says and living it out. Jesus said that he was the truth. He also said that God's word is truth. He said that the truth will set you free. So running to the place where God shows himself to the Bible and to the Lord Jesus that the Bible speaks about 
will set us free. Jacob sets up an altar there, a symbol that he's worshipping Yahweh, the true God, and that he's putting him first. And it's a reminder to him uh, that this is where God showed himself to him. So flee idols, run to the place where God shows himself to us. Thirdly, embrace our new identity. Uh, verse 10, God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Uh, God comes to Jacob again and reminds him of something that happened the night before he came back to the promised land. Uh, when God came and wrestled with him, he reminds him that he's been given a new name. And God reiterates uh, that this is a new beginning. Uh, under the promises of God, Jacob the wrangler, the trickster, uh, who spent most of his life manipulating others, is now Israel, the one who strives with God or the one that God strives with and through whom God will fulfill his promises and bless the entire world. So in uh, verse 11 and 12, we read, A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you and I will give the land to your offspring after you. And this happens actually. And next week we are going to see, uh, in, as we look at the background of Jesus, we're going to see that actually the greatest king that ever walked the earth, uh, humanly speaking, was a descendant of Jacob. Jesus, the one who blesses all the nations. Uh, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, you know that when you came to Christ, when you were adopted into God's family, uh, you received a whole new identity. And so you're no longer defined by your ethnicity or your family background or your, or your gender or your looks uh, or your marital status. Your primary identity is that you are loved eternally by the God of the whole universe and that he has shown that to you and me by giving up his one and only son uh, so that we could be in his family. And friends, we need to embrace that identity. No matter how much those other identities impinged on our life, that ultimately we are people who are related to the living God through Jesus eternally. That is a wonderful thing. And it also means we have a whole new family. We need to embrace that family. And it's a wonderful thing to be in God's family and to be supported and encouraged and built up by the other family members. What a great thing the church is. In verse 15, we read, Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken to him, Bethel, the place of God or the house of God. It's where God spoke to him. So flee idols, run to the place where God has shown himself to us. Embrace our new identity and finally endure in the last half of the chapter. So the rest of this chapter records the completion of Jacob's family. Rachel has another son. And this wife who in her barrenness earlier on cried out to Jacob, give me children or I die. Ironically, what happens here uh, is in the birth of her second child, uh, both of those things are fulfilled. She dies and she has a child. 
It's such a sad episode. But uh, through that, the family of Jacob is complete. The heads of what will become the 12 tribes of Israel are now in place, uh, through whom God is going to fulfill his promises as those generations go on. So the die is cast for the shape of the nation that will come, that God has foretold will come. Twelve tribes. When we get to the end of time and we look in the book of Revelation, we see that there are 144,000 people in heaven. Of course, it's a symbolic number, but it points to the fact that the completion of all God's people are gathered around the throne in heaven as God has fulfilled his promises and brought them safely home uh, to their eternal resting place. As we look back on the God of Jacob, it's worth noting uh, when and where God appears to Jacob and what's going on at the time. Uh, the first time in chapter 28, we see it's when he's fleeing, running away from his brother Esau, who's threatened to kill him. The second time is when he's running away from Laban and he's under great pressure again. And that's in chapter 31. Uh, the third time uh, is when he's about to go back into the promised land and his murderous brother Esau is coming to meet him uh, with 400 men in tow. And now this fourth time in this chapter, it's just after the incident uh, where his daughter has been raped and where the men of Shechem are getting ready, uh, Jacob believes, to wipe them out. Now, have you noticed a trend or a thread here? Uh, that when Jacob is under the most pressure, God turns up, shows himself to him. And the really interesting thing is that even though Jacob is in these pickles all the time, largely because of his own stupidity and his own scheming or his stubbornness and not going to the place where God's told him to go. Even though that's true, what does God say to him? He blesses him. He reminds him of his relationship with Jacob. And he reiterates again and again that he will fulfill his promises. And furthermore, that he is with him and will be with him. That is so encouraging, isn't it? God could quite easily have scolded Jacob and said, I'm going to punish you. But no, he doesn't. He blesses him. And friends, isn't that how God works today with his people? When we're under the most precious, so often that is where we learn the most precious lessons. I remember after our first term on the mission field, We'd had a really, really stressful time living in the desert. Uh, we came back in uh, needing serious emotional and spiritual help. And God provided it in the form of a, a great Christian counsellor. And I remember this guy as he was helping us to work through the, the, what had happened and the impact of it on us. He said, you know what I think about my relationship with God? I think actually... He's like a lover that comes every now and then and usually it's the most difficult times in our lives. And he embraces us warmly and he says, I love you and I'm coming back. 
And of course, he always comes back. And the bits in between sometimes seem like hard work, a long march in the same direction, as somebody has said. As we put one foot after the other, in denying ourselves, getting rid of our idols, running towards God, and serving him day by day uh, in discipleship and following him. And his promise is that he's with us. It doesn't always feel like it though, does it? But it must be true, mustn't it? Because he promised it. And he doesn't lie. Jacob's own summary of his life, uh, 40 years later, as he's in Egypt and as he's actually chatting with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says to him, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob says to Pharaoh, the days of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. He's sad as he looks back on his life. And maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe that's what it will be like at the end of your life. And yet, we see in Jacob's life that God in his mercy, uh, the one who works grace in and through the mess, he worked through Jacob and in him to bring about his incredible promises that ultimately result in people like you and me being able to enter into God's eternal kingdom. What a wonderful truth that is. Let's praise God for that. Uh, let's flee our idols. Let's run back uh, to the place where God shows himself to us, to Jesus and to the word of God. Let's embrace our new identity and live it out as we follow Jesus. And friends, let's keep doing it. Let's endure until he takes us home or comes back to take us to himself. Let's pray together. Thank you, our Lord and God, for your incredible mercy towards us. In spite of our weakness and our frailty and our sin and the fact that we so easily slip into worshipping other things or other people, that you are a merciful God and that through your great and precious promises you have brought your son to this earth to die in our place, uh, that we might be purified from our sin, uh, that we might have his righteousness, we might be clothed in his goodness. We thank you so much for that, Lord. Help us. Uh, if we haven't yet responded to that, Lord, please, I pray that your work by your spirit uh, for those who haven't yet followed you, that you would work in their hearts to turn them to Jesus. For those of us who have, Lord, I pray that you will help us as we seek to continually root out the idols that so easily slip into our lives. Help us to keep running to the place where you show yourself to us in your word and in Jesus. And Lord, help us to embrace our new identity as your sons and daughters more and more. And help us to keep on doing that until you take us home. For Jesus' sake. Amen.